lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, back with you once again here on the Outsports Podcast Network, and I am stoked for today because we are talking with someone who I enjoy immensely getting the chance to sit down with him, even though we've only had a couple of times to do it. I've been won over immediately, but also uh, because we are highlighting something that is uh, very important to me personally. Uh, of course, this week uh, at Outsports and across the world, we are celebrating Bi Plus Awareness Week, celebrating bisexual, pansexual, all kinds of different identities uh, outside of the gay, lesbian, straight, um, I guess, sphere sphere spectrum one or the other either way we're celebrating these identities that often not shown the uh proper spotlight and and really of the same validation that a number of other identities within the lgbtq uh spectrum are um and not to say that our fight is not a collective fight in many many ways but um biphobia uh is is a is a real thing by erasure is a real thing and um i'm very happy to be joining outsports uh and the rest of uh i guess the uh the bi plus advocacy world and celebrating bi plus awareness week this week um but of course here on the show um we have to do things just a little bit extra just a tiny so instead of bi plus awareness week we are doing uh, Bi Plus Awareness Month. We are dedicating the rest of September to highlighting Bi Plus voices within pro wrestling. Uh, and that just happens to line up with people that I really enjoy talking to. Case in point today, Russell Rogue, our guest, the Biconic Russell Rogue, um, is on the show again. Of course, last time we talked to Russell was back in June, uh, just shortly after um, the George Floyd killing. And we had a very um, lengthy, interesting, and I feel very um, insightful conversation with him, Devon Monroe, and Chris Kazama. and I really enjoyed that conversation. I was very happy to have the chance to have Russell back on to talk about being out and bisexual in pro wrestling. And, you know, I think that Russell's experience, um, as you'll hear during our conversation, speaks to some of the that journey of self-identity in and out of the ring. Um, and, you know, just just transitioning from a character, from character to character like he did with Dewey Decimal to Russell Rogue and being able to really express himself and find himself. That's a certain freedom that really comes with that sort of self-identity and that that bit of validation that you get whenever other people don't just, you know, shoo away what you're putting out into the world. And, and I'm very happy that Russell has found that um, place in pro wrestling to do that, even if he hasn't had the chance to do it in six months because of the COVID, but uh, that chance will come again, and I am going to be here for it, and today you are here with me for this conversation with Russell Rogue. So we have that on tap, but before we get to that conversation, I do want to take a quick moment here and shout out the Wrestlers Lab, um, a very awesome uh, independent promotion coming out of New Jersey. They uh, um, they had quite the week, I would say. Uh, of course, we talked about the the Envy Young's Polycole Party too last week. Um, following that event, Envy had uh, his 
a bag of his stolen that um, had, you know, some of his gear, some other personal items, as well as the Wrestler's Lab Championship belt. And it was so amazing to see the outpour from the LGBTQ wrestling community and, you know, the wrestling community as a whole for Wrestler's Lab to, you know, they, they started a, a fundraising campaign to uh, replace the belt uh, that had been stolen. And I... <laughs> It was not that long. It was, I think, maybe a, an hour or two, maybe even less. I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but it was very quickly that that goal was met um, because of you know fan donations to to make sure that a company that um, you know fell on such a hard circumstance where their brand new uh, championship belt, which was actually a very good-looking championship belt, I might add, was stolen. Um, and they had the money in hand now to get that replaced and put it back on Envy Young's shoulder and see where it's going to be defended next, you know. Um, so, yeah, just quick shout-out to them because that is a, an amazing thing to see and probably one of the more feel-good stories in pro wrestling this week. And so, top-notch there. Well, without any further ado, let's talk to Russell Rogue. What's up, guys, guys, and I'm Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am super pleased to have as my guest this week um, as our first real edition of Bi Plus Awareness Month here on LGBT in the Ring. Um, we have to kick it off right with the uh, biconic Russell Rogue. How are you Hello. doing today, Russell? Oh, you know, just... Working my way through the week, you know, my real life job has been super, super busy, but hey, like during COVID, I'll take it, you know, it's more money coming in. So for that, I'm grateful that I still have a job and that I'm able to pay the bills. So because wrestling is for a lot of us dormant and understandably so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we've definitely seen a number of like indies and and major companies pick up and start running again here but that doesn't mean the entire industry's back and you know i think uh, you've been very i've seen you be very vocal online about like your desire to get back into the ring now after such a long layoff because you haven't been in the ring since butch versus gore right Gore, yeah it's been over six months now which is Oof. wild to think of i mean i went back and trained earlier this month for a day and you know where I train at the academy there can only be four of us there at a time so we have to message Ken and his wife in advance Ken Anderson and just be like hey is the is our like is the facility open and we have to like deep clean the facility and um there's obviously a mask requirement in there as well so um you know they're very much like Ken and Anastasia are just like, yeah, like we want you to like be able to like wrestle, but we want you to be able to wrestle safely. And I think it's, you know, in the Midwest, that's really hard to do. So I'm glad that they're taking all those protocols and initiatives really seriously. Yeah, it is very uh, good to hear that a number of people within the industry are, are taking those steps. And, and even just for training, like you're saying, like it's it's just nice to know that the, the concern is there um, all yeah. around for the, mo- for the most part. 
for the most caveat for the most part <laughs> because there are still some i just keep i have that that picture from like months ago of iwa mid-south like stuck in the back of my head like where they had all their fans cramped into the warehouse with no masks on just like ah and like even outdoors like you know there was a show in wisconsin that happened a few weeks ago and there were barely any masks outside but they were still like so you know packed together and i was just like that is like really scary and like if i were to work a show and go out there and see that i would be really scared for myself as well as all the other talent because it's just not safe unfortunately right now even though the cool thing about working indie shows is how intimate wrestling is compared to you know the bigger stages yeah and unfortunately that that does seem counterproductive in our current climate but you know we're we'll hopefully come out of this on the other side in in a good way for for the indies um i mean obviously there's we've already talked about there's plenty of others that are still running right now but hopefully it'll just hopefully the precautions just keep getting better and and um we can come out of this on the other side and get you back into a ring finally because uh, you know <laughs> Like like I said multiple times on this show, like both my partner and and myself, just like taken with you at Butch versus Gore, um, and not just because of the the Britney battle with you and Jared Evans, who by the way I'm glad to hear that his knee is doing all right after that poly <laughs> the polycult party show. Thank God, um, I've still got to beat his ass, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> he has to be ready to get in the ring for you whenever you can get back in. So we got to make sure the knee's working. <laughs> True. Yes. Um, but I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, luckily, I'm not hurt either. So Good. someone can book it, you know? <laughs> I'm sure someone will. I'm sure someone will. <laughs> um, so, of course, last time we had you on, um, we were discussing, it was basically in the wake of the, the George Floyd killing. And we were talking about the mm-hmm. protest movement that was had started in Minneapolis and has branched out across the country, still having protests today around a yeah. lot of the issues there. Um, real quick, before we get into discussing you, because I really want to get to you here, I, I do want to kind of check in with you because it's been a few months, even though it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it. Um, and I wanted to see, kind of get how see how you're feeling seeing the developments over the past few months and just kind of the situation that you're seeing in Minneapolis as well. You know, so I mean, I still am very like on my guard. Um, I think the George Floyd incident really showed me a lot about people um, for better and for worse. Um, I definitely am. It made me reflect a lot about like, the relationships that I have in my life and how performative I felt some of my so-called friends were as allies to the black community, but also like thinking about performative allyship with other marginalized communities as well. Um, Like I had like a lot of epiphanies during that time. Um, I'm still very like conflicted about, you know, the racial gaps and you know navigating my identity as a black person and also realizing that like because i do i am incredibly light-skinned like knowing that i benefit from aspects of white privilege at the same time like 
you know, it's, it's really forced me to think long and critically a lot about myself and my relationships. And, you know, I had thought about this stuff before, but not necessarily to this extent, but I mean, I'm definitely better as far as like my mental health goes in that department, but I'm still very wary of people and, you know, I don't necessarily trust everyone at face value as much as I used to before, but I think that might be a good thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I've seen like, not just you, like a, a, a multitude of people in the, in the wake of all this have been very out front about calling out that um, performative, um, like statements, performative allyship. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, a lot of people are kind of feeling emboldened to like speak up about that sort of stuff um, around this movement. I'm curious, like, was there anything, speci any specific example that kind of like forced you to kind of really like find your voice around this and feel the need to kind of be public about calling this sort of thing out? Um, I mean, I feel like, just from my experiences, like locally, how I would speak out about inequities in wrestling and kind of be brushed off or be told that I was too sensitive. Um, and then starting to see everyone come out in support of George Floyd and then like simmer down after they posted a black square on Blackout Tuesday, I was just like, are you really just doing this for the likes? Like, Activism is not about likes, it's about lives. And I think a lot of people who don't have to worry about their lives every day really don't realize that. And until they do realize that, their activism is not going to A, really mean much, but B, really contribute to the necessary changes that we need to have in order for there really to be equity in our society. And I think when it comes to equity and equality, I don't think people A, know the difference or B, I don't think many people are willing to make the sacrifices necessary in order to really ensure that we have an equitable playing field for everyone. No, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, I think uh, that's one thing that I've even noticed like for, for myself is like pushing myself to like, just even say the word equity as opposed to equality, like mm -hmm. in a lot of, in a lot of instances, because for the longest time the two have been basically quantified as the same. Yeah, but they they really aren't. And I'm glad that at least you know a number of people are starting to understand that and are pushing for the right things. And you know the and the ones that have been just basically uh, outing themselves uh, for hypocrisy in that way are are definitely hearing that and. You know, hopefully those voices like, like yours and many others won't be um, stopping anytime soon with making sure that we remind the wrestling audience of the those people and, and exactly how they need to grow going forward. And like, I do believe in restorative justice and like, you know, creating environments that encourage people to grow um, and evolve. Um, obviously, I think when it comes to predators and stuff like that. I think practicing restorative justice is a lot more trickier. And if you are not the victim in that case, it's not really your place to police that. But, you know, when it comes to like 
you know, race and gender issues. I think realizing that like people have different experiences and are not always going to be necessarily woke when they're 18, 19 years old is really important because if you just think everyone's going to have their worldviews established and have seen the rest of the world when they're a newborn adult, like that's kind of elitist and classist in and out of itself. So there's definitely some issues with that lens too. And it perpetuates a lot of like college white college students. I'll, I'll say it that much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you need to say much more. That's a, that's a pretty good identifier. <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, I, I'm glad we were able to touch on, on that stuff because, you know, it's, it's a fight and a push that keeps continuing and won't stop continuing for, for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But you're on, on the show today because I want to talk about Russell Rogue. I want to talk about yes. you, your experiences in the ring, um, and being an out by plus uh, man in the wrestling industry. Um, so, like many other interviews that I've done on the show, I want to take this back to the very beginning. Um, where did you uh, first f- discover pro wrestling, and where did it first hook you as something that you had this immense passion for? Yeah, so I was originally a WCW watcher, which, you know, a lot of people may look at me and they think, were you even old enough to watch WCW? And it's like, yes, I'm turning 27 in November. Thank you very much. Um, Despite the fact that bartenders think I look like I'm 17, which is gross. um, I started watching WCW and like the first memory that I have was like right after Starcade of 97. So I was four and like there was Bret Hart and Sting on Nitro. Um, Like that's when I really started to get into things. Um, And then shortly thereafter, I started watching WWF. Um, I was like a big fan of Kevin Nash and WCW, like, Big Sexy Kevin Nash was my favorite, my mom's favorite. And so, of course, I had, like, his action figure and Goldbergs and all that. Then I started watching WWF per the recommendation of our neighbor around the block. And I, you know, I loved, you know, DX and Sable. Got WrestleMania 14 on VHS from Walmart along with um, the BCA Undertaker and Kane action figures. Those were my two first WWF action figures. Um, and I just, you know, I really fell in love with where, how edgy and like badass WWF product was at the time. Now, granted, I look back, you know, 20 years ago and I'm like, okay, there were definitely some problematic things in the Attitude Era that I definitely would not be able to consume today. But I I loved how everyone had such a unique character and identity. And I think that part really gets lost when we're talking about the Attitude Era today was how strong and unique all of the characters were. And the roster size was not nearly as big as it was today, you know? So that's that's where it really started. Yeah, like I looking back on on the wwf roster at that point like you're right like it's it's nowhere near as large as it is today and it also is was nowhere near as like watered down in terms of personality 
as it is yeah. today. Um, you know, what, granted, like I feel like a lot of that is just a product of the uh, the corporate culture there. But at the same time, like one thing that does get lost, like you were talking about, is I I because I, I started out watching WWF, switched over to WCW, um, and then <laughs> kind of I uh, kind of switched back and forth um, in in my youth, and so I. I'm with you in that one of the best things about that era of WWF um, is the fact that everyone had something to do. Like all the characters there, they had their unique differences, whether it be their like how they dress or how they act or their in-ring style. Like you had a bunch of different things meshing together to make something that was great and showcased itself to millions of people. Um, so much more than, than what, that sector of the pro wrestling industry does today and it really kind of bore out a lot of the personalities that i think have seen a lot of people latch on to pro wrestling mm-hmm. like um i'm curious though um being a wcw kid um what was it about kevin nash that that drew you to kevin nash i mean there's obviously like he is like heralded as like the cool factor in yeah. pro wrestling but i'm curious if there's anything specific about kevin nash that kind of drew you to him I think the thing that stood out to me was I loved like the red fringe he had like on his gear. Like I'm a huge red and black sucker. That's why I loved, you know, Legend of Doom and Sunny. Um, and then there's just something about the way that he like interacted with the crowd and then his finisher, the jackknife powerbomb. Like to me, it's a thing of beauty. I think that's probably why I also liked Sable a lot because the state, you know, the Sable bomb was also a powerbomb. Um, you know, it's a move that I've only done once, but you know, it's still one of my favorite moves of all time. It just has such a great explanation point, um, in the telling of a story and, you know, Kevin Nash just, he did it so well. So, you know, and plus he was just so like, I just loved like just how like simple he was with the crowd. He like didn't do anything too complex, but he was just relatable. He was like that cool dad, like cool person that you want to call like dad, you know, like that's yeah. how I felt when I saw Nash. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I was a Wolfpack kid. Um, so yeah. I get it. I totally get it. There's just like something about, that group and national general that just kind of drew you in so much more so than the diesel character i would say um for me personally i don't know but but no that's that's really interesting to hear i wouldn't i wouldn't have pegged kevin nash as as, as the one to, to pull you in i mean obviously i mean i don't i don't like making assumptions but just like where my brain goes sometimes like did you now did you grow up in minnesota I did, yeah. I grew up in okay. the eastern suburbs, so closer to St. Paul than Minneapolis, but yeah. Okay. It's just curious because, like, you know, a lot of people associate, you know, WCW fandom with the Southeast or, or with, like, that region. But, you know, Minnesota, it's interesting because like, Minnesota feels like a – felt like a pipeline in some ways for that, that – precursor to wcw the nwa jim crockett era where you had rick flair um kurt hennig like a number of people whether they ran through the awa and they came down yes rick rude um well jim brunzel was from there um let's see who else obviously greg ganya burn ganya Mm -hmm. um, so all those awa guys 
lots of AWA. Medusa was from Minnesota too, I believe. So. Oh, okay. So yeah, like there's a lot of ties in talent from from Minnesota to WCW, and like you wouldn't necessarily like that's a good connection, I think there. Even though I don't know if that really played a factor into like you latching on to WCW in a way. <laughs> yeah. It did no. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to think about though. No, yeah, I just it's just always curious. I don't know. I'm always interested whenever I hear someone who didn't like grow up in like TBS country, even though it was like a nationwide thing, but like that that area of the country that that saw WCW as as um their first promotion. It's just it just makes me very curious. So that's that's that long diatribe has led to that point. I guess I don't know. <laughs> it's a long lost era of wrestling, and it makes me sad because I really think that WCW was the catalyst for really lighting up the the Monday Night Wars and getting wrestling to its cultural peak in the late 90s. Like, without WCW, there would have been no Attitude Era, and there probably wouldn't have been a Russell Rogue either. Hmm. That's a, that's a very interesting point you make. Like, what, so a lot of the stuff that kind of rooted you to wrestling came from WCW, the Attitude Era. Moving mm-hmm. past the Attitude Era as wrestling kind of in, at least in like the the mainstream world sphere starts to starts to fall and profile a little bit what kept you um latched onto it through there to the point where you felt like it was something that you wanted to do so there were like you know some continuations from the attitude era some characters that stood around like you know you had Shawn michaels coming back to the ring after four years out um you know, I I loved watching how Trish and Lita were growing as performers. Um, eventually, I started watching SmackDown and saw, you know, them bringing in Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero and Ultimo Dragon, um, as well as, like, Tori Wilson was on SmackDown. So, you know, he had some older WCW blood there. Um, well, Tori Wilson's not older WCW blood, but, like, you know... In 2003, WCW, it's, it felt like it was a legion of years away, even though the Invasion storyline had only happened like 18 to 24 months before. So um, he also had like Don Marie and like, you know, the ECW blood. So it, it kind of felt like there was still a little bit of nostalgia at that point. Um, I didn't really think that I would realistically hop into wrestling, um, you know, probably ever. Until, like, I got a DM on Twitter because I said I was a student at the University of Minnesota and that I was a wrestling fan, Um, which is kind of interesting how that all kind of came together. Um, Because I, you know, as a high schooler, I didn't really watch a lot of TV because I was I was that student who took like a bunch of AP classes and. You know, I was like, I'm going to do what I can and get a full ride to college and have no student debt, which I did. But, like, I was very academic-focused and, like, didn't really do anything besides schoolwork, work, and so-called extracurriculars that I really only did to boost my resume, which, huge life regret, kids. If you're listening to this and you hear that, follow your heart from a young age. Don't do anything just to make your resume look good because there's probably 100 people that are doing it the same, and 10 of those people are probably super passionate and going to get all the leadership positions you want. So... Anyway, um, yeah, it's kind of my little rant. (laughs) (laughs) 
a valuable one though i would say i'm curious about this this um story with um with uh you at the university with getting a dm like tell me more about about this like what led to like what how did this person find out that you were a wrestling fan and and what led to them kind of i guess well tell me about what what they what what the message was and how that led to you getting into the room let's well i have twitter pulled up on my computer so let's go ahead and go down memory lane um i mean the dm is is probably from like 2015 but you know so basically what ended up happening was in my bio i said that i was a senior at the university of minnesota and that i was a wrestling fan and this person was looking to start like a wrestling club um and was like hi i see that you are a fan at the u oh i found the message <laughs> oh nice <laughs> um, god from 2015 so this person followed me and said that they were a student at the u and he says i found you by searching umn wwe in twitter's search bar and that message was from october 19th 2015 and so the ir the irony was he also had access to a ring <laughs> in his dad's <laughs> warehouse, which well it was like a storage. It was like in the attic of a warehouse, basically. Hmm. And like some indie guys were using it to train and they were running like informal camps or whatever. So of course I went and you know, after a couple months of him persuading me, because obviously like I wasn't sure if it was legit or not, I went and you know, took some bumps and I wasn't like amazing, but I was like, okay, if I were to work a little bit, then maybe I could do some stuff. So then, you know, I graduated college and I had an offer to work in TV news and I took it because I didn't want to be jobless. So I put wrestling on the back burner at the time. I hadn't really debuted yet. And I thought, oh, this was maybe just for fun. TV didn't work out. Um, so I came back to the cities and, you know, got back into wrestling and got some formal training at the academy. And now I am here. So, you know, it's it's been an interesting whirlwind, but I think that life brought me back to wrestling for more than one reason. Mm-hmm. Tell me about um, linking up with the academy there, because you know that there's a there's a pretty staunch pedigree there with the school being run by by Ken Anderson, and is um is Sean Davari still involved? He is there not. Well? No. Um, oh, okay. He's not there. Nora, Molly Holly comes mm-hmm. like maybe once every blue moon, um, and then um, Eric Cannon's no longer there either. But I got to learn under all of them and. You know, all of them taught me a lot, and I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to cross paths with all of them. But no, that that's a that's a impressive list of people to to learn under. I would say people that have a lot of longevity and a lot of experience in, in the business, especially someone like Eric Cannon, who is um, so well known and arguably vital to the scene in Minnesota and the surrounding area. Um, well. Yeah, what was it? What was it like um, going through training for you there um, under underneath the, those people? What was the experience like? Um, well, like at the beginning, like 
So we had a class of 11 to start off with. And like half of them dropped after the first week. So, you know, a lot of people are just like, I can't do this. Like, this sucks. Everything hurts and I'm dying. And I was just like, this isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, I, you know, I feel pretty confident. And, you know, so right now it's like from our class, there's only two of us that are still around and another one is a ref. So, you know, um, with that said, you know, it was really kind of survival of the fittest. Um, you know, you, we would go to camp two or three times a week and then obviously help out with ring crew. Um, and like the first six months were like kind of brutal just because like, you know, you would work on things and then you would get frustrated because you couldn't get something down and like, you know, I don't want to say that I'm a perfectionist, but I am a perfectionist in some ways. And so like, I am really hard on myself. It's like getting used to that and having to like tell myself you have to grow up in that department was really hard. Um, but like, you know, it's been a different experience throughout just with like the changes in staff with like, you know, Canon and Davari leaving. Cause like they're like, Ken, Sean and Eric all have different styles of training and they also have like different visions of wrestling. So like, it's great to be able to learn about all of those visions. And then also like, it's hard when those visions clash because like, I think the, a great contrast is like, you know, with Cannon being such like an indie guy, like he's obviously an indie wrestling legend. And then you have Ken who, you know, spent so much time in the big leagues, like indie wrestling and, you know, what's seen on the main roster with WWE is so different. What you see on WWE is different than what you see on AEW, which I think is much more indie influenced. Um, and so like you would do certain things that one person would like that the other person would just be like, eh, but that's also a good opportunity to learn how to work like in front of different crowds because you can't just work the same style of match in front of different crowds because different crowds are going to have different interests too. Uh, definitely. I mean that anytime that you can get a, a number of perspectives on, on your craft, I think is a very valuable opportunity. So I'm with Absolutely. you on that. Definitely. You spoke to like finding this, this like confidence in yourself, in the ring during your training what was there like anything specific about like like a specific moment or a specific like light bulb that went off for you to make you realize that this is actually like something that i could stick with for the long haul that you felt confident in your ability to to be a professional wrestler i think it was when we started to finally put the plans to kill dewey decimal in motion because like mm. at that point I was still, you know, working locally as like a supplementary rib gimmick to another wrestler. And this wrestler really wasn't going to get anywhere. And me working this gimmick wasn't really going to help me. And I didn't necessarily like have the relationships or really anything to leverage myself to get other opportunities. And, you know, but instead of, or 
I didn't have like the opportunities to really leverage anything unless I were to just like hop in a car and go, you know, to a place which I've done before, but it's, it's hard. Um, and I really wanted to get more experience, but I felt so unhappy as that Dewey character, which was basically given to me. Um, and I feel like that unhappiness was really showing in like my performance and like with like what I wanted, you know, not really what I wanted to do, but like what I was doing in the ring. Like I was not wrestling as myself. I was wrestling a style and as a character that was basically assigned to me and I wasn't passionate about it. So once I really started to, you know, once we got those seeds in motion, it was like, okay, now I can really go out there and be myself and not have to pretend that I'm happy-go-lucky and, you know, basically just like a so-called complimentary dish when I really should be the main course. That sounds really vain, but like, I just, I am not a litter. I'm not like a nerdy kind of person. Like that's just not my character. Um, I just wanted my own independence. And I felt like Dewey Decimal was like a way for people to be like, this is a way to like make it like less obvious that he's like a gay character or that he's a gay person or, you know, and I say gay because everyone, you know, tends to put male appear male appearing lgbtq plus people and just lump them into the gay bucket and it and it, it actually makes me mad um <laughs> but it, it just you know i think people are just like we don't want you to be stereotyped and like you know maybe this is a way for you to get over i have a lot of conflicting thoughts about it but i'm just so glad that that character is gone because once i started being myself i started improving in the ring a lot more hmm. and i started enjoying it more too that's the most important part no, I mean, definitely, if you're going to put your body through this sort of thing, like you want to enjoy what you're doing. And, and definitely, Russell Rogue, I think, just from like the short time that we've gotten to know each other, definitely represents you more so than anything that I saw with, with Dewey Decimal. Um, I am curious, though, about something you said about, about Dewey. Like, the fact that... Um, you know, Dewey was a character given to you and that you said that some people kind of viewed it as a way to not ha have you fall into a stereotypical gay character. Um, mm -hmm. I can feel it bubbling in me, <laughs> like just the fact that like that would be a consideration there. Um, was that some? was that how like you ended up viewing Dewey as well based off of of those conversations or like how what what made you what was the first inkling that made you feel like Dewey was something that you needed to immediately pivot away from for yourself I think and this is going to be really horrible and I hate saying this but like just the way that people would like talk about my partner like you know there was like the political you know obviously wrestling is political and people had things to say about my partner that I felt like were just really like horrible. My, like my partner at the time was, and still is an absolute sweetheart. I consider him one of my close friends, but like, I knew that like us tagging together and like, you know, considering what I heard promoters saying about the gimmick, like it, it was treated as like a joke. Like I was put, in this situation as a joke. And it was a joke that got over. <laughs> so like 
that, like that made things really hard. And I just, I felt like I wasn't really given the chance to be myself and really explore my own identity. Um, the name initially was not Dewey Decimal. Um, oh. It was retroactively changed four days later on the, on Facebook actually. So my original name was like Ezra Challenger or something like that, which was still modified after I picked something out. Um, but regardless, like, you know, seeing what people were saying about my tag team partner at the time and like having all these like personal conflicts, I was just like, if I want to do something with this, I have to really break out of this and, you know, basically kill off Dewey Decimal. And like, if I were to return as Dewey Decimal for one night, that's one night. It's not happening, you know, 365 days a year. And if it were to happen, it realistically would be like in a three faces of holy spot. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly, like, I don't know, that sounds like it could be a fun idea if you do a faces of holy spot with it. Um, but I'm curious also whenever you started the process of transitioning away from Dewey into Russell Rogue, um, obviously I think that moment where you like took off the glasses and, and that moment in the ring was something that it looked like it was special for you in, in a way. It, it immediately you saw a different side of your personality come out. Like, I think I look back to the moment where you sitting on the turnbuckle, like jawing with the crowd while um, his name's escaping me. Yes. Well, uh, he's down with your partner um, and taking care of stuff in the ring. And I, I don't know. It just, it, it fit so much better than anything like that Dewey really did. Um, tell me, talk to me about like the process of that transition. Like what, what was the, the, the catalyst for it and like what kind of got that ball in motion for you? So this was with Midwest all-star wrestling and um, I had came back once I started, you know, wrestling matches again. Um, I came back to MAW and, you know, I was introduced as Leonard's best friend again, because that's how they knew me before when I was primarily his manager. And I replaced him in a tag match and Leonard and I, like, we were just like, we, you know, we want to tell this story. We want to get this heel turn because, you know, one of the creative guys at MAW at the time saw me for the first time as a heel manager and was like, you are money as a heel. You would be money killing Dewey Decimal and turning heel. And um, so we, we were hoping to get that happening by the fall and ended up happening closer to winter. Um, there were actually supposed to be, I was supposed to be like leading a faction at the time. It was supposed to be me, Paul Burke, and another person named Andrew Wilson. But Andrew Wilson broke his tibula and his tibula jumping into the ring in the match before. So the match where I had my heel turn got bumped up to be like the first match of the night. Um, so um, that's a little interesting tidbit. Um, kind of sucks because Andrew hasn't wrestled a match since and I hope that he gets better soon. Um, but you know, we were just like, we really need to break Russell off. Um, he's just not happy and, you know, they wanted to give me a shot. And so it happened. And then 
the way that it got booked, unfortunately, I still have some questions about because um, there were some creative team changes. And obviously, when that happens, it's easy for some people to get lost in the shuffle, <laughs> um, which I think is what happened to my storyline with Leonard. And like the last interaction we had was after a post match assault I did on someone and he chased me out of the ring. So mm-hmm. there's been no continuity off of that at all. So um, I love to have like that finishing touch and who knows, maybe it's an actual strap match with a, le- with an actual leather strap instead of a burlap, <laughs> whatever the hell that, that was. I was going to um, ask what, what kind of strap was that in the strap match that you two had? I literally got, so the booker of that promotion gave the strap to Ken and Ken gave it to me. And I looked at it like, what is this? Like, do they not think that I'm not afraid to be hit with leather? Like, hit me with the damn thing. Like, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to turn into a deathmatch god, but, like, I'm not afraid to take a bump. I'm not afraid to be hit with a weapon. Like, give me the real strap. And I think if we would have had that real strap, the crowd would have been into it more. And it's not like they weren't into it, but I think we would have been able to do a lot more and it would have told an even greater story. Um, But who knows? Maybe that's just the option for round two um, once COVID settles down. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I definitely do want to do more stipulation matches in the future and think that there's a lot of potential for me to do so. So... No, definitely. Um, I, I I do want to go back because like it, it's interesting to me that you know this this dichotomy in promoters. I would say because like from on one hand you had promoters like looking at Dewey Decimal as a way to kind of shroud this uh the, this queerness of, of mm-hmm. this character. Let's be frank. You're like you as a person as a as a as a bisexual person like you're shrouding your queerness in, in a character that's meant to like take some of that away. Um, yeah. And then to see that, like, or to hear from you that like some of the, the push to make the change to Russell, who is so much more outwardly embracing of that person, of the personality that you, that you have and, and the identity that you have. I don't know. What was it like for you to have that come from a promoter whenever you had other promoters that were, pushing to to put that cloak on it god so there was an instance in january of 2019 where i went to wrestle for a promotion the promoter comes up to me like 10 minutes before my match and i was wrestling as russell rogue he was like what's up with your gear are you gonna do any gay shit you can't do any gay shit or else i'll get in trouble and I just froze like, and I had like, there was like one person who like said something in the locker room about it, but like, I didn't, I, I wish I would have had more support in the locker room with that because I felt like everyone just was completely silent and ignored it. Cause even though it was that like that mesh bodysuit, like I was still covering up a lot more skin than 90% of that show. Like, so what? It was glittery and glamorous. Like, does that make you upset? Like, I still got over and I was working as a baby face. Like, 
Russell Rogue as a baby face, like, it can work. It's not the best thing in the world, but we can get the job done. And I was able to do that in freaking rural Minnesota. So, like, I'm going to pat my back on that one, you know, feed my ego a little Literally. bit. Um, it was just like, <laughs> are you freaking kidding me? Like, the nerve, the audacity, like, take several seats. I, I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, like that's a that that experience. Like I am one. I it, it's frustrating for me to hear that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just I mean, I'm sure like that's an understatement compared to like experiencing it. But yeah, just to know that like it seems like that the there's like a whole spectrum in terms of like how not just you, but like the idea of queer personas in pro wrestling are viewed in the region up there. Honestly, in the Midwest, they're nowhere, like the view on queer talent is nowhere near as progressive as, you know, the East Coast, especially. Um, I think a lot of it is like, you can only have like, there's like an informal quota where it's like, you can only have like one queer talent on a show. And it's like, we are not the same talent. Like, do you think if you look at me and Devon Monroe, do you think that we are similar at all? Like, if you look at me and Brooke Valentine, do you think that we're similar at all? Like, the answer is absolutely no. Um, like, and I love Devon and I love Brooke. And the three of us are so different as athletes, as competitors, as personas. Like, we deliver different products and we are completely different talent and I wish that more people around here noticed that I think there's a lot of like implicit bias though that people wouldn't outwardly admit and I think that's uncomfortable for some people to really come to grips to Mm. like implicit bias in terms of just like their perception of of queer people or yeah okay I I I figured I just wanted to clarify, make sure that we're on the same yeah. page there. No, I mean, and you I mean, you're right. Definitely. Um, because I mean, that's always the kind of the view just culturally, like where like the coast versus the Midwest always kind of have a little bit of a, a difference in, in how quickly those sort of attitudes are adopted. Um, doesn't make it right, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that like with more people coming up in the Midwest scene, like you, Devon, Brooke, Sophie down in the St. Louis area, you know, a number of people that are, you know, putting themselves out there and, and showing that you don't have to follow the quota to really, and that people will be accepting of you. Like you said, like you were in rural Minnesota working babyface in a gimmick that is so, so patterned. For to to be a heel and it worked mm-hmm. like and if it works there it can work anywhere i mean it definitely can it's just a matter of i feel like it's the way that like the produ- like the production of the match too and like the way that your programs are being produced like you know if all promoters and all producers were like billy dixon i think queer talent would be having field days all over the country but that's unfortunately not the case yeah. Which sucks because Billy Dixon has an amazing mind and he knows how to book queer talent and how to book queer talent well. And 
I think I think a lot of people could learn from him. I really do. Oh, definitely. Like him, the you know, Darnell and, and, Darnell and Michael. Andy. Yeah, like all like all of them. Like there's a, there's an I'm glad to see that there are more people getting in those positions now where they're able to really affect the that sort of um the, that change in perception for you know not just not just queer talent but like you know predominantly queer talent but also like you know talent of, of color and talent um uh of other marginalized communities women mm-hmm. you know like they're it's opening so many doors to show what what all these different uh personas and and people that keep it's, it's not personas people all these people yeah. can do um in the in the industry so I want to get back to to Russell though, real quick, because like of course, sure. yes. So Russell, Russell Rogue emerges from the ashes of Dewey Decimal. Um, what has it been? What was it like for you? <laughs> what was it like for you whenever you finally had the chance to run with this character? And like, how how did you how did you feel internally going forward after that? It felt really liberating, but I felt like a lot of people were really apprehensive to really like give me that shot. Um. Because it was like, okay, new gimmick. Like, we haven't seen him wrestle very much. And I also had to, like, basically, like, relearn how to work as a heel. Like, it's not the same as taking a bunch of heat in a tag team match. Like, so that transition was definitely a bit harder for me, too. Because in real life, I'm a nice person. I don't want to hurt you. But, like, my character is that I'm a bad bitch. And when I'm, the, and when I'm in the ring, I have to really act like I'm a bad bitch and that I really want to beat the living hell out of you. And I was apprehensive to do that at first. And, like, I look back at some of my, like, first matches as Russell Rogan. I was like, I could have laid that in so much more. And I'm glad that I do now. Like, you know, when I look at that match I had with Devon, which, you know, a lot of the gays really talk about, even though, like, we both were, like, really green at that point, like, we still told a story with that. And that's something you can't teach. But I do think that the 45 seconds that we got in the ring with each other at Butch versus Gore, like that growth that you saw, like is insurmountable in comparison to what, how we were working like a year prior. And, you know, we both have had to put in a lot of work to get there. So. No, definitely. I and actually, I do want to talk to you about Butch versus Score because you know, that was really from from what I saw. Like, I know you you've worked a lot in the area there. You worked a little bit in in Canada, um, kind mm-hmm. of up close to that area as well. But Butch versus Score was your. I want to say. Well, I'll ask you all right. Was it was that your first East Coast show? First East Coast show and like first show that you know, quite frankly, really put me on the map. Um, yeah. You know, it was the first show that really exposed me to a national audience. And for that, I'm really grateful. Mm-hmm. How did that opportunity come to you? Like, how did, how did, uh, did Billy reach out or how did that come to be? Yeah. So Billy reached out to me in like September. And so like six months before the show and he was just like, so what are you doing March 7th? I want you out here, sis. And then he, you know, I said I was available. And so the funny thing was I actually met Lo in Chicago. I met them like a few months before. And, um, you know, it ended up being Lo and Billy putting that show together. And then Billy was like, how far do you live from Devon Monroe? Can you two carpool? And the funny thing is that Devon lives five minutes away from me. So, of <laughs> course, um, 
And so, you know, the funny thing was we both ended up buying a flight because I didn't ask him if you, you know, wanted to drive out there with me. So I was like, well, I'm not going to drive by myself. So I flew out there. Um, and then he like, Billy asked, like he double checked with me after I like took a hiatus um, after my grandma passed away. And of course I said, yes, because, you know, I was like, there was something about that show that I felt like I needed to do. And I'm really glad that I did because I, I think that without that show, my future in wrestling would be a lot more uncertain, especially with COVID. No, I, yeah, I definitely, and especially for something that was so high profile um, and, you know, I don't know, like it was just it's still it's such a magical night to think back to, honestly, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm super happy that you ended up on that show because like it definitely put, put you more just selfishly it put you more on my radar like i've been familiar but like seeing you live like it clicked even more so and i i really enjoyed seeing all of your interactions especially seeing you and and devon in the ring and then going back and watching that first match that y'all had like just seeing like you're talking about the growth there and just even just the through lines of like stuff y'all were doing there and stuff that you brought to to dc that night as well it's just it was really, really fun to see a little bit of that evolution, the same way that the character has evolved over time. Um, and, of course, that evolution from from Dewey to Russell, it, it also kind of speaks to a lot of what is being highlighted in, in September here around Biplus Awareness Week, um, because, you know, like you said earlier, it's very easy um, and very regularly done where... Uh, queer men are automatically put into um, the this idea that they are gay socially. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no real like there's a lot of I guess for lack of a better term by bisexual erasure in that way. Like the the, bi, the identity as by as a bisexual man, you know myself included, it can be um, something that either typically is looked at as like I know I, I've I've gotten this at least where like it's the stepping stone to being like full full on gay or um or you're just simply or don't don't believe that that's how you feel or anything like that what was that did you see any um parallels between that experience and and that transition to russell for yourself um i mean i felt I definitely felt like I was being more like typecast as like a gay character. Like when I came out as Russell Rogue, especially at first. Um, and I feel like that really made it hard for me to really, you know, transition into basically a full-time wrestler. Um, Cause like Dewey Decimal, he had to wrestle like as like a non-wrestler, which was also like making things complicated. Like I remember being told that like a promoter said, like, because Russell is queer, we cannot take him seriously. And part of me wonders, like, if I would have not debuted as Dewey Decimal or if I would have came up at the same time as Devon Monroe and not before, if it would have been easier for me. Because um, I kind of can't, like, even though, like, I've been around for, like, a year and a half longer than Devon has, like, I still came in at a time where, you know, being openly queer in wrestling was not nearly as acceptable as it is now. And so, you know, you still, you know, when you're sticking up for yourself, you develop baggage with some relationships and that baggage, like, you know, it comes to haunt you at times. Um, 
but like also I've had the opportunity to like work at, you know, platforms like, you know, Butch versus Gore and like that opportunity with Rise, the case for change that fell through, like, you know, things are really starting to look up for me. And I do think that once I get back into the scene more, you know, once COVID settles down a little bit, I, I do think that you will be seeing my name a lot more and I will be busting my ass to make sure that happens. <laughs> um, real quick, um, since it is Bisexual Awareness Week, month, whatever, we're, I'm gonna, I have to get used to saying month because that's what we're yeah. doing here. It's Bisexual Awareness Month on the show here. What does it mean for you to have um, bi plus identities highlighted here? Not just like for this period, but what does it mean for you to, to um, put more awareness on bi identities through yourself? Like, you know, like I, you know, at the very top of the show, I referred to you as biconic because like, that's exactly, that's who you are. That's, that's who you branded yourself as because you wanted to put your identity out front for yourself. What is it, what does it mean to you to be able to add some representation for that community and bring awareness to the bisexual community? I'm just like glad that people are starting to recognize that A, I am bisexual and there's nothing wrong with, you know, identifying as gay. I just think that there's a lot of, as you were saying, there's a lot of erasure with bi people and it's almost like we don't exist. Like, you know, people tend to hypersexualize a lot of queer men and, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, you know, sure, I may like gyrate my hips a little bit in the ring, but I'm not a piece of meat. I don't want to be viewed as a piece of meat. And like, you know, I am a wrestler when it comes down to it at the end. And I fight hard to demand that respect. Um, I'm a wrestler that happens to be bisexual. And I'm not afraid to say I am biconic. I am bisexual. I am biracial, you know, like, I am the triple threat. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I just, it feels good to have my identity validated and respected by other people. It's in a way it, it is kind of like pronouns. Like it's like, it is a part of me and I want it to be acknowledged and I want it to be respected and it shouldn't be that hard for people to do. Have you like, noticed, oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Like I was just saying, like paying attention to those details is important in respecting people. No, it definitely is. And and I'm curious, like, since you've been on more out front about, you know, identifying yourself as a bi man, um, have you like obviously you haven't been in the ring in a while, but have you mm-hmm. like seen the wrestling community um kind of re- I guess I don't know if respect is the right word, but like respect your identity more so in in the time that you've been putting it um, to the forefront or at least partially to the forefront here. You know, I hate saying this, but no. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like I'm more respected from the people I met in like the Butch versus Gore locker room and the people that I met like post Butch versus Gore versus like pre Butch versus Gore. Hmm. Um, I definitely feel like a lot of my closer friends are like outside of the Minnesota wrestling scene, which I think is great for several reasons. I found people that I just click with more. Um, not to say that I don't have any friends in Minnesota because I love Devon. I, you know, Paul's great, you know, Sebastian Taylor, they're all like good friends of mine, but like, you know, 
I think a lot of those people like had already had their preconceived notions made about me. And like, sometimes it's really hard to change those. And so like being able to like introduce myself as like a bi person to these other people and have it be validated is it's really reassuring. What do you think needs to, to be done or needs to change for those people that's to have those preconceived notions to be able to open their mind up and actually, you know, embrace different identities rather than just, you know, gay or straight? Well, I think there has to be a lot of unlearning of attitudes regarding sexuality, in particular, um, you know, with sexualities in the LGBTQ plus arena. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hypersexualization among masculine presenting individuals and a lot of fetishizing with feminine presenting individuals. And, you know, obviously people who are non-binary, they really get left out of the equation. So it's, it's more problematic for them. Um, but I think people are so preoccupied over who people sleep with or what's in people's pants rather than like true issues that face the LGBTQ plus community. And I think that really strips us of our humanity and it's incredibly insulting to have to deal with that on a daily basis. I'm definitely with you on that. Um, it definitely is. And I think that's one reason why I um, am so happy to see you and and all the other people that, that are very open about themselves within pro wrestling to be able to, you know, if it's, it's just one industry, but it's an industry that, that can be pushed in the right direction. And, you know, it's, it's moving there at differing speeds, depending on where you are. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think just the fact that the fight is still there and the desire to have that fight is still there. And, you know, it's, it's something to be commended for. It really is. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely is. But, you know, I, at the same time, though, it really seems like you're having a lot more fun with your with Russell Rogue, um, obviously. Um, mm. What are you looking forward to whenever you're finally able to get back in the ring? Like, obviously, we talked about the Jared, the Jared Evans stuff. We mm. talked about you and Devon are probably in, at some point going to link up in the ring again. Um, what What are you looking forward to whenever you're finally able to get back into the ring? My one so I was supposed to have a match back in August. It didn't work out, and I was it was supposed to be with Still Life with Apricots and Pears. Oh, and I think that would have been a very interesting match. I think you would have seen a lot more technical and lucha libre wrestling from me, which um, you know you don't get to see very often. Sometimes I'll post a clip of it on Instagram, and that's it. Um, that would have been a really cool match. So I'm hoping that Still Life and I get to cross paths. I want to do more intergender wrestling as a whole. Um, obviously, I'm looking forward to what we will tentatively say is the sequel to Butch versus Gore whenever that's happening. Because let's face it, we know it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's definitely something that I think is going to be in the cards. Um, I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm just excited to really show people what I'm able to do. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, didn't have me on their radar. And then with what's happening right before COVID, it's like, oh, like, 
this guy can get massive heat. This guy is a bitch. Like the diva stands were pressed. <laughs> and, you know, talking about calling each other bitches and talking about how I was a bitch for days. So like, you know, I didn't last in the match the longest time, but I left an impact and that is something I'm very proud of and I will definitely be looking to continue. Um, I just, you know, we have to have, things have to be safe with COVID obviously. Um, and who knows when that'll happen. If I have a really good opportunity to come out and wrestle in a face mask, I'll do it. Um, but the timing has to be right because my safety is important. Whether it's sooner or later, um, it'll be very interesting to see whenever you come back because I feel like there's a lot that has happened for you to capitalize on. And I can't wait mm -hmm. for, for the next move and the next appearance of um, – of Russell Rogue, um, I it's I'm I'm excited for it. I know I I know I am, and that and if I am, there are plenty of other people that are too. So um, I guess as we wind down here, Russell, just my last question for you: um, Is there any other um, anything else on your mind that that you that you wanted to discuss here, or anything else, especially regarding um, Bio Awareness Week for you, um, or Bio Awareness Month? I have to train myself. Um, <laughs> there are so many like by talent that are worth checking out. Um, and you know, I just want to say that they deserve your attention and that all of us in the LGBTQ plus community and especially the buys, like we're not here to be hypersexualized or fetishized we are here because we love to wrestle and quite frankly we can kick some ass so you know book us on your shows yada 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 um if you're already booking us thank you if you're not you should really do so <laughs> um but i'm i'm proud to be a bisexual man and to you know, be putting a face on this community and also just being like a queer heel in general. Like it is so hard to be a queer heel because promoters are like, I don't want people to hate him or like, you know, hate me. And it's like, so what? Like we don't have to, you know, you don't have to book us in like homophobic fashion. Like you're not booking us like Billy and Chuck. Like, we we can be a heel without having to resort to our sexuality. Like, you know, it's not that hard. Exactly. They're, you're not defined by your sexuality at all in that way. Like, you can you can be bi, but also just be like a. I, I guess for the for what we're talking about here, you can be bi, but you can also be a bitch. You know. Period. <laughs> <laughs> well russell thank you for coming on the show um you talked about booking more by talent where can people get a hold of you online if they do want to reach out to you possibly to book you yes. on the show so your best places to find me are on twitter at it's russell rogue that's two s's and two l's in my name and rogue r-u-g-u-e i'm on instagram at russell rogue 
You can follow me on Twitch, which I just started at Russell Rogue. I'm also on Facebook, but I hate checking Facebook because people are clowns. And let me think. Email me at therussellrogue at gmail.com. Buy my merch, Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, all the plugs. <laughs> Get them all out. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I'm curious. I, I, I saw you just popped up on Twitch. Like, what are you? What are you playing over there? So I've been playing the Avengers right now. Um, oh, okay. Really interesting. It's kind of cool seeing a Marvel game with the main character being a Muslim woman. Um, I feel like that's really groundbreaking. Um, it's an interesting, you know, I think her personality is a good contrast compared to the personality of like what Carol Danvers would have been, um, as Miss Marvel. So, um, that's, well, not Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel. Um, so that's really cool to see. Um, I'll probably end up playing some Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, even though I've, you know, accomplished all of the goals in the skate parks i've still got all those trophies and gotta get my gamer score up so you know um yes. <laughs> you know, we'll see what ends up happening crash bandicoot comes out next month um there's the new street fighter editions that'll be out soon so there's gonna be some content and you'll get to see me and hear me talk a bunch of shit but i won't be getting hit by anyone unless it's by someone in a video game so I can be almost uncensored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will be very entertaining going forward. Um, thank you again, Russell. No problem. My thanks once again to Russell Rogue for taking the time to sit down and chat with me about uh, you know his career, his transition from Dewey Decimal to Russell Rogue, finding himself as well as uh, so many of the issues uh, that are being highlighted this week uh, during Biplus Awareness Week. But um, we're going beyond a week here on this show. Uh, we are filling out the rest of the month. Uh, as previously stated, with uh, BiPlus identities in the pro wrestling industry, and that is going to continue next week when we have uh, all that Keita Murray on the show to chat about his experiences in wrestling, um, his <laughs> his uh, how he ended up with a tag team pin a victory over Shane McMahon and The Miz a couple years back, and also just his experience uh, kind of discovering himself and his own uh, bisexual identity um, in and out of the ring and, and understanding how those two um, per personalities, those two sides of him interact with one another. It's a really awesome conversation. If you like the one today with Russell, you'll love the one next week with Kita. Um, but that's for next week. Uh, be sure to check out on Outsports.com all of our great uh, Buy Plus Awareness Week content that we have coming out over the next uh, week or so. We're going to be highlighting a number of athletes um, during that time. It'll be just great to check out there as well. Um, oh, and uh, also a fun little tidbit for myself. Um, Tomorrow, I am going to be on another Outsports podcast. So much like last week, you got a double dose of me. Granted, both of those days were uh, talking about wrestling. This week, you get a wrestling day 
and a baseball day because I am going to be guesting on Three Strikes You're Out with our own Ken Schultz here at Outsports. Um, probably one of, the, not probably, one of the uh, most educated um, and impressive baseball minds um, in the baseball journalism field today. Um, I really enjoyed the first time I was on the show with him. This time around, it's not going to be as celebratory because <laughs> the Nationals are... Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be a fun time, though, so definitely come back, check that out tomorrow, and check out Keto Murray next week. Um, make sure to bring your orange soda. Thumbs up there. Um, and then I'm going to leave the last one a surprise. I'm going to leave our our, our last uh, Buy Plus Awareness Month guest a surprise, but don't worry. It's always fun here on LGBT in the Ring. Uh, that being said, uh, we are going to say goodbye, but we do have to say Thank you to a number of people that helped make this show as awesome as it is. First off, the Progress Pride Flag Design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And of course, big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at stswband. And you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. Um, and, of course, if you want to check out the best uh, in modern and classic independent pro wrestling, go check out independentwrestling.tv. They have live streams every weekend, during the week, all the time, especially as a number of indie companies begin to round up, uh, ramp up, rather, their live event schedules once again here. Um, I would say something that I really liked that I watched recently over there, uh, Camp Leapfrog, on the suggestion of uh, M. Fear, I guess, last week, um, as well as just the fact that Chris Levin had the chance to put his mind to something. And that show was, was a fun one, and I am excited to see a sequel. I know there's been a tease of a sequel, and hopefully that will come to pass in October. Also, we got a date for Paris's Bumping, debuting live on IWTV uh, on October 29th. That's going to be awesome to see. So definitely get in there, check out your independent wrestling over there. And if you feel so moved, you can use our promo code LGBT Ring Pod, and you get five days free. You get a five-day free trial over there just by using the promo code, or you can go straight to the URL, tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT. Get that five-day free trial and find something new for yourself. I know I, I today, the past few days, I've been going back and watching a little bit of Battle Arts while I've been doing some writing, and uh, it's something that I needed to delve into for myself. So definitely check that out. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod over at independentwrestling.tv or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT for a five-day free trial over there. Um, and of course, if you are into video games, every Monday I host a gaming news show alongside a couple of my very close friends um, over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. That show is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. It goes live every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we go through the week's gaming news, have some fun, give analysis and critique where it needs to be. Um, overall, it's just a, a really 
good time, one of the highlights of my week, every week. And we're branching off into a second day over there at Dead Sun Entertainment. Uh, every Tuesday, we have something new, whether it be uh, a play date where the three of us get together and play some games together on Twitch, or we have our running uh, series, The History of the World, looking at the history of gaming. We just wrapped up an episode on uh, Nolan Bushnell and the Rise of Atari, which is always fun. Um, hot tubs. Hooray. Uh, so it's it's just always fun over there. And Mondays and Tuesdays are turning into days that I really like um, for being able to do that. Not just talking about games, because I love talking about games just as much as I love talking about wrestling but also because I'm doing it with some uh, very close friends, and it's just a nice a nice little environment, especially whenever you're cooped up in your apartment all the time because of COVID and heavy smoke. I wish you could see the thumbs up that I'm doing right now for myself. <laughs> anyway, check that out every Monday and Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment if you want some gaming stuff from me as well um, with that being said though we're going to get out of here for this week come back next week once again Keita Murray going to be on the show it's going to be so much fun don't want to miss it uh, but until then y'all stay messy wash your hands wear your mask and if you're where I'm at wear your N95 mask if you have one um, and uh, maybe don't play baseball in the midst of uh, some really bad smoking conditions. Everybody's ready to die. Bye. Everybody's ready to die.